Take out your Bible this morning and turn with me to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 6, we have spent time this morning already singing about the truth of God's Word. We have spent time reading God's truth. We have been praying God's truth. And this morning, we're going to open God's Word to Judges chapter 6 and a time of instruction and a time of teaching from God's Word this morning. Find it there in your Bibles, Judges in the Old Testament, Judges chapter 6. And as you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about this because I'm going to ask you your answer in just a second. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Right now, take a minute, turn to the neighbor next to you, take 30 seconds and tell them what you're afraid of. Go ahead, go ahead. Tell them. 10 seconds left. All right, all right. Let me get your attention right up here. What are you afraid of? How many of you would raise your hand and what you heard was somebody at your table is afraid of clowns? Can I see your hand? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. How many of you would involve some fear of heights? Can I see your hand? Okay, all right. How many of you, it was uh, some type of a rodent? Can I see your hand? Oh, yeah. I can empathize with you. I am fearful of mice. And uh, I, now I'll tell you what, a couple weeks ago, we were having staff meeting in my office, and Paige was sitting there, and I was sitting here, and, and we were talking about some things for the ministry, and all of a sudden, Paige just points and says, there's a mouse! Now, that's funny, because earlier that morning, I had been in my prayer room right at my chair where I normally sit, and I had all these books that had been given to me, and I had burlap sacks of coffee bags, all these things. It was just an utter mess in my prayer room. If you would have gone back there, you would have seen quite a mess of things that I was sorting through. I sat down in my chair that morning as I was reading, and I looked, and how many of you know out of the corner of your eye, sometimes you think you saw something, but you didn't know if you saw something? And so I thought I had seen a mouse, and, and so it scared me, you know. I'm just kicking the pile, hoping he's going to move. Nothing happens. So I sit back down. All to be, two hours later, we're in staff meeting. All of a sudden, Paige goes, there's a mouse. You should have heard me scream. Actually, Sarah Blankenship did hear me scream. She was in this room, heard me scream all the way down to my office. Thank the Lord for Sarah Blankenship. There is a living mouse today because of Sarah. Now, I'll just tell you, if, if it was me, that mouse would not be living. But Sarah saved the mouse, okay? Now... I, I am deathly afraid of mice, so much so now that I've let the secret out of the bag. I know there's some of you that are just waiting to get me, all right? Now listen, there are fears that attack us in the moment. There are situational fears. But can I have your attention right up here? You know, there are fears that in some ways can last a lifetime. If you've ever struggled with fear, you're not alone this morning. How many of you would raise your hand and say, you know, I've, I've experienced some type of fear in my life? Yeah. We're all, <laughs> I won't repeat that. All right. Fear is no respecter of persons. Whether you are young or old, whether, whatever your economic status is this morning, whether you're a weak person or a strong person, we are all affected by fear. Fear has a way of engulfing our life. How many of you know this to be true? That when you open the door to one fear in your life, it seems like a tidal wave of fear just comes rushing in. And some of you are here this morning for church, and as you've come into the room to worship with us this morning, what is true of you that no one else knows is that today your heart is gripped 
by fear. You're gripped by fear. It could be the fear of loss. It might be the fear of the unknown. It, it might be a fear of, of, of feeling insignificant. You know what? We've turned in our Bible this morning, though, to uh, Judges chapter 6, and we're going to find and we're going to meet an unlikely hero. He was a guy who was gripped with fear. His name is Gideon. And, and he's certainly not the standards of, of what courage would look like. Uh, if we were to have met him, you probably would not have called him courageous. Nevertheless, God calls him and equips him to do an impossible, what seems like, task. And he is known now in our Bibles as a man of courage. You've opened your Bible there with me to Judges chapter 6. Pick up with me beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years, and the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whatever the Israelites, for whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them, and they would encamp against them, and they would devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza, and they would leave no sustenance in Israel, no sheep or donkey or ox, for they would come up with their livestock to the tents. They would come like locusts in number, and they and their camels would not be counted. I mean, can you picture this? This is the children of Israel, and they're afraid. They're afraid of their enemies. Their enemies were coming. They were encamping, camping around them. They were coming to pillage and, to, and to, to take captive, notice, their crops, their livestock. The Bible says they were like locusts in number. And notice in verse 6, and Israel was brought very low because of Midian. I mean, I, mean, I mean, could you imagine how deflated these people felt? It's like everything they had was being taken away from them. It's, it's, it's how you feel when you're playing your arch in the game of Monopoly, you know? It's just like they're constantly taking things. They're taking your money. They're taking your land. So much so that you just feel so defeated. And here in verse 6, the Bible says that they were brought very low. And so what do the people do? Someone look in your Bible at verse 6 and tell me, because of how the people felt, and how low they were, what did they do? Someone tell me. Shout it out. They cried out. Now, who did they cry out to? The Lord, all right? So the people are crying out to the Lord, and notice God's response. In their cry, they're crying for a deliverer. They're crying for someone to help. And guess who God sends them? A prophet. <laughs> Like, if you're the children of Israel, you're like, no, we wanted someone who would lead us, someone who would deliver us, not someone who was going to come and teach us. But God knows what his people need. And, and even in this passage, we're not told of this prophet and this unnamed prophet and what happens, but even in the midst of while God is doing something over here for his people and sending them a prophet, there's things that God wants them to know. In the meantime, God is preparing a deliverer. God is preparing somebody by the name of Gideon. Even before the people receive the message of this unnamed prophet, God has already begun to work in their nation for their salvation. Notice in your Bible at verse 12, here's how it happens. The Bible says in verse 12 that the angel of the Lord comes, and he comes to a guy by the name of Gideon, and he says to Gideon, verse 12, the Lord is with you, 
oh mighty man of valor. Literally what the angel of God is saying to Gideon is, God is with you, you mighty warrior. But here's the problem. Gideon wasn't a mighty warrior. Gideon was not out fighting the Midianites. Someone tell me, where is Gideon at? Look at your Bible. Someone tell me, where is he at? He's in a what? He's in a wine press and he's doing what? He's threshing wheat. Now, here's the one thing you don't do. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press, okay? Whenever you would thresh wheat, and I've never done it, but what I do know is that you do it outdoors so that when you thresh the wheat and, and the chaff gets taken off by the wind, the seed kernels of the wheat would fall to the ground. But here, Gideon is not outdoors where he can have the wind. He's inside, he's indoors in this underground kind of wine press And someone tell me, why is he there? He's what? Say it louder. He's hiding. He's afraid. Turn to your neighbor and tell him he's afraid. He's afraid. And yet, to this guy who is so fearful and timid, God sends his angel and comes to him and tells him, what did he say? The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. I mean, it seems so ironic, right? Like God is saying this of Gideon, who certainly doesn't seem like a man of valor. He doesn't seem like a warrior. But in this declaration, guys, look right up here. God sees something in Gideon. God sees what he will do in Gideon's life. God sees who he will become, even when Gideon doesn't see it himself. You see, Gideon is called by God for this assignment. And what we discover is that while Gideon himself is not courageous... Being called by God and equipped by God for the task that God has him by the power of God will make Gideon into quite a courageous young man. Pick up in your Bible in verse 13. Notice, then Gideon said, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted us saying, did not the Lord bring us out from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us. He says, hey, I don't know what you're saying because it sure feels like God's people are forsaken. Now, here's the question. Were God's people forsaken? Yes or no? No. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, no, they were not. They were not forsaken. God had not forsaken them, but notice what happens in verse 14. The Lord turned and said to him, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Did I not send you? Verse 15, and Gideon said, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. I am the least of my father's house. You see, Gideon, God's telling him to go do something, and he's given up all these excuses as why he can't. He, he, he's young, he, his family comes from a weak clan. There's this, he says, I, I'm not the guy. But God says in verse 16, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. You see, if you mark anything in your Bible, put an underline right under that phrase, I will be with you. You see, we're gonna learn two things this morning from the life of Gideon because that's the key. The presence of God in our life is the key. You say, what makes the difference in my weakness? It is his presence. Can I say that again? What makes the difference in our weakness? You know the answer to that? His presence. There's two things we learn here this morning from the life of Gideon. The first is this, and if you look on the table, kids, there's some sermon notes for you to jump in and follow along this morning. First this, courage comes from God's calling Courage comes from God's calling. 
You see, here's the thing. Aren't you thankful that God does not look at us based off of who we are, but who he will make us to be? Aren't you thankful of that? Aren't you thankful that when God comes to you and and, and God calls you, that, that he doesn't call you based on who you are. God calls you for who he will make you to be. Just the other week, Jessica and I had a date night and we went downtown Roanoke to this place where we could work at a potter's wheel. How many of you have ever had the privilege to work with some pottery? Can I see your hand? And so we had this date night. It was so much fun. We, we, we got a couple things of clay and we're learning and working how to make something. And I, and I tell you what, it never hit me before um, just how much create, I mean, you should know this, right? But like for me, the amount of creativity and the amount of thought that goes into like looking at this chunk of clay and then looking at some amazing things that people had made in that art studio blew me away. But you know where all that began? It began in someone's mind. Somebody had this inceptional thought of what they were trying to make. And so I wanted to make a candy dish for my office, you know. So I'm kind of working it, working it, working And all of a sudden the wheel goes, boom, and there, and there goes my clay. And I lost two things, you know, just because it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. You know, the Bible tells us that God is the potter and we are the clay. And isn't it good to know that when God looks at our mess, when God looks at our clump of clay, he doesn't see it for just that. God sees it for what he wants it to be, what he's making it to be. And God will rework that clay. God will rework those things in our life. Because what do we discover here from the life of Gideon? We discover that courage comes from God's calling. How does a farmer become a mighty warrior? I'll tell you how. God did it. Turn to your neighbor and tell him God did it. God did it, and here's how he did it. He did it through his presence. You see it there in in the verse? But God says, the Lord says, I will be with you. God's presence in our life is what makes all the difference. And the problem that some of us go through life so discouraged is we're not aware of God's presence. Some of us spend our days thinking that all that we're trying to make and do is all that there is without seeing that there is this sovereign, powerful, guiding hand in our lives behind the scenes in ways that we do not see. You see, courage comes from God's calling. But secondly, we learn this, that the hope for our generation, that hope for our generation is your obedience. Hope for our generation is your obedience. Notice verse 13, Gideon said, where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? You see what Gideon's saying? He says, hey, I heard my granddad telling me a lot of great stories of what God was like and what God did, but where's he at today? You know, you might be a young person here today, and that's the question you're asking. You're like, you know, I've heard mom and dad or grandma and grandpa talking about God and all these God things that God did. You know what? But I haven't seen it. You know what God's answer for you today would be? Maybe it's that God wants to use you. You see, Gideon is saying, God, why aren't we seeing all of these things? And God's answer to Gideon in this passage is is something rather profound. God wants to use Gideon. God wants to use Gideon. Look up right here for just a second. God uses the most unlikely people in the most unlikely ways to further his kingdom. You're here this morning, you're like, I don't really see how it is that God can use me. Hey, there's good news for you today because that's just the kind of person that God uses. God uses people who are unlikely. God uses people who who seem to us as, as beyond hope. 
I mean, here's a guy who is, he, he has no courage, bone in his body. And yet God's going to use him to defeat the Midianites. But here's how God wants to do it. God wants to use your obedience. You know, we can look out in the world and we can say, man, the world's a mess. This world, how many of you raise your hand to that fact this morning that the world's a mess? You know, we, we, we can get so wrapped up in saying, man, this world's a mess. Everything's just going to keep on waxing worse and worse. And man, it's just... We can get so defeated for our generation that we forget that maybe God's answer for this generation is your obedience. God wants to use you. God used Gideon, and God used Gideon to change an entire nation and an entire generation. You know, the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And God has prepared those works beforehand that we should walk in in them. Some of you are here today and you're thinking about your life or you're thinking about this world or you're thinking about our church or you're thinking about this community and you're saying, you know what? There seems to be a real need for something. There's an area that really needs God's grace and mercy. Can I tell you this morning that God's answer for bringing his grace, his mercy, his power to bear in that situation might be through you? Because here's the thing. It's easy in the midst of our difficulty to lose sight of what God is doing. But in the midst of challenge, in the midst of difficulty, God's mission has not changed. Like right now, God's mission has not changed. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's not changed. Do you believe, church, that God wants us to develop disciples for his glory, both here and around the world? Do you believe that that's his mission, yes or no? I mean, God has a desire for that. God's commissioned us to make disciples of all nations. I mean, the mission right now for the church is to reach the generation, the next generation for the cause of Christ. And here's the thing. It can't be outsourced. It can't be outsourced. Look at you, mom and dad, you're here this morning. Would you look up at me for a second? The discipleship of your children cannot be outsourced to the church. I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for the profound impact that it has on kids' lives. I've seen it year after year. Young people come through this ministry, their lives be touched and changed for eternity. But but here's the thing. You can't outsource the discipleship of your children to right here. You're the primary discipler of your children. And here's the good news, that if we have Christ, if we have Jesus You see, this person talking to Gideon is the Lord. Many Bible scholars believe this is an incarnate picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I this morning who are here this morning, if you know the Lord is your Savior, you have Jesus. You have the hope of Christ in you. And and can I just tell you this morning that, that, that if you have Jesus in your life, then you have everything you need. Do you believe that? Yes or no? Some, some of you don't look too certain about that. Do you believe, look at me, do you believe that if you have Christ in your life today, that, that you have everything that you need to do what God's called you to do? Yes or no? Amen. We do. Do you believe that our church today has everything we need to do what God has called us to do? Yes or no? Amen. God's given us everything we need for ministry right now. Let me just share, I, I don't want to make the message about this, but I felt really impressed with the Lord to share this with you. You know, we're in the process of searching for a new pastor here. We've not stopped that. Do you all know that? We're still looking for a full-time associate pastor to join our growing church here. Some of you are like, did we give up on that? No, I know it's coming up on a year and we're still there. And, 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 and some of us, you know, it, what stood out to me, though, the last couple of weeks, and I was reminded as I was in uh, Guatemala, 
that, you know, the reality for churches to have pastors on staff, student pastors on staff, is actually a really relatively new thing. In actual fact, for a church to give so faithfully that we could not only have one staff member, but multiple staff members in a church is actually pretty amazing in the grace and kindness of God. But here's the thing. It's an important position we're looking for. I mean, someone who's working with our young people, somebody who's working with the next generation, I mean, this is critical. We're, this is important. And so it's not to say that the position's not important. It's not to say, don't hear me this morning when I say this, it's not to say that I don't need help. I mean, I sure could use some help. I'd love some help. And I'm thankful for a helping, serving church. But can I just tell you this? The Lord's really laid this on my heart this week. That God always gives us what we need. And God has always equipped us for everything we need for the season that he has us in. And right now, the good shepherd is, is, we're following him, and as his sheep, we lack nothing. So what does this mean? What does this mean? You know what? When God in his grace sends us somebody to grow our staff and to join us in that way as a church, we're ready. I pray you're ready for that. But can I tell you that right now in the waiting, can I tell you that right now in the time when when, when, when we don't have that, can, can I lovingly look at you as your pastor and say, God has put everything in our church right now for what his church needs in this season. It may look different than you think, but he's provided for it. God has provided for it in his people. He has provided for it in his, in his spirit. God, God, God can do something supernatural. Because here's the thing. I, I, when I go overseas to other countries, I look at sometimes the way that things seem physically impoverished, but the people are spiritually thriving. They don't have full-time staff members, okay? So I'm not saying that's not important. Don't look at me and come back and say, Pastor, we don't need a youth pastor now. No, that's not what I'm saying. Please, Lord, send them this week. That's what I'm praying, Okay? But, but look at me, God is our good shepherd and he tells us that his sheep lack nothing. Nothing. His church lacks nothing. Jesus says the gates of hell cannot prevail against my church. So can I tell you that right now in this season, you know what we need? We need courage. We need hope. We need to realize that courage comes from God's calling. Secondly, that, that, that notice what, what do we learn from the life of Gideon? That hope for our generation is our obedience. And right now, I believe that God wants you to take a step of obedience in something in your life today. God, God wants you to do what he wants you to do for his glory. And you have no clue the amount of people that your life will touch. So here's the thing, church. What is hope? What is courage? It's if we have Jesus. If we have Jesus, if we have his presence, we have everything we need to be and do all that he's created for us. God told Gideon, he says, I will be with you. And you know what? The promise is still true to you and I today as followers of Christ. He said he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. God is with us. You and I can be more than conquerors because we have the hope of the gospel. So here's the thing. Look up here. Courage doesn't come from within us. You don't have a courageous personality. You don't stumble upon courage. Courage is something that comes through the strength of the Lord infusing you with strength. It's this courage to know that because God is with me, regardless of what the challenge that we're facing, we have everything we need to be and do what he's called us for this season. Do you believe that? 
I'm ready, to, I'm, I'm ready to charge forward this year in what God has for us as a church. Let's have some courage. Let's have some faith to know that God's mission is still the same. God's mission has not changed. We're going through changes. He's not changed. Let's be faithful to what he calls us to. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to discuss this together. Father, we love you. Thank you. Praise you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is our hope. Thank you that, 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 Lord, you give us courage, not from outside, but from within. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you that you never leave us or forsake us. Thank you, Lord, that you know what this church needs. You know what we need. You know what, you, God, you know everything that we need for this season. And if, Lord, we would humble ourselves before you, if we would trust in your leading, Lord, you'll never lead us wrong. So we love you and praise you in Jesus' mighty name. Everyone said... Amen. Guys are going to put up some discussion questions and we're going to take just a few moments. You're going to break up with your family table this morning and someone take the leadership in your table to start asking these questions, three questions and discuss it. You're going to have about five or six minutes and then we'll come up and we'll have communion together. Go ahead. Someone around your table right now. Take the leadership. Question number one, discuss that question with your table. Take a few more seconds to wrap up your thoughts there for your discussion at your tables. About 20 seconds there. All right. If I can get your attention up this way again, it's great to hear you talking about it. The Bible tells us not to be hearers of the word only, but to be doers of it. And so I hope that through talking about it, discussing it, uh, you have something there this week that's personal for you, especially to answer that third question, to take a step of obedience in it this week. Well, this morning, we're going to end our service this morning uh, in a way of seeing the Bible, we're, we're calling it. And, uh, you know, communion is a time where we see in a visual representation um, what we believe. And that is that Jesus Christ died, was buried, but he rose again. And communion is a picture to us about Christ's life that was given for us, his blood that was shed for us. And so this morning, um, we, in just a moment, the deacons are going to come. Uh, when Jessica lets them know, in just a moment, they're going to come forward and to serve the congregation. And this morning, here's what we believe about communion. Uh, we believe that this time is for uh, people who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, all right? And so that what we're asking is that if you know the Lord is your Savior, the Bible is very clear on this, that... That, that we partake from the table, those who know the Lord as their Savior. And so this morning, as this gets passed around, if you know the Lord as your Savior and you're walking in obedience with Him, this morning we would invite you to partake of communion. Uh, parents, you help your children, and you know this in your home, uh, those in your home who have come to know the Lord, those who have yet not. And, um, and so, uh, but it is something for us to see, something to see in this visible picture of what Jesus has done for us, our response to it. And, um, and so in just a moment, we're going to partake of the table. But I'm going to ask my wife, Jessica, to share her testimony of how she came to know the Lord as her Savior, because she got saved in some Sunday that was a little similar to about what we're about to do right here. So I'm going to let her share that with you. I grew up in a Christian home. They're both, they were both in the ministry for, you know, the first 20 years of my life. And, um, and I grew up, you know, kind of having heard, oh, I got 
saved in a Sunday school or accepted Christ in a Sunday school when I was younger, and I could not remember it at all. Um, I, you know, I believed that, but I just didn't remember it at all. And, and I just remember, though, one evening, our church would do communion on Sunday nights, and, and my mom always took the time, you know, and I can remember it, you know, I'd sit there, we'd be get, getting ready to take communion, and she'd lean over and kind of, kind of explain it, like, um, you know, what we were doing, what we were, you know, acknowledging and thanking, thanking God for. And, um, and I just remember, I remember where I was sitting and, and having heard her say that, and, um, and I didn't want to not remember you know, when I had accepted the Lord, I chose to accept the Lord then and there. And, um, and I think it's just such a, an awesome reminder of like those little moments that, you know, parents or, or family is taking to invest in those younger kids. Sometimes it's not, you know, an altar call at a revival or some big moment. Sometimes it's just these little rhythms of grace, whether it's you guys sitting at your table praying or explaining what communion is um, to your young ones, uh, that can open their heart just as easily. Um, so, so that's, you know, that's my testimony. We're going to go ahead and ask the deacons to come forward and we're going to observe communion today. And um, while they're doing that, we're going to be singing a song, and hopefully a lot of these little ones know it. And if not, it's very easy, especially the chorus, to learn. Uh, and I don't know that we've sung it in our church here for a while, but it's nothing but the blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So I'm sure a lot of you guys know it. Let's go ahead and sing, sing these stanzas as they pass the elements. <laughs> 